Greyhounds, and welcome to Ted Lasso is Life, the podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Duong. I'm joined by my marvelous co-host, Chrisanne Morgan. Hey, everybody. And today, we're going to dive deep into the season three premiere, kind of like Richmond into the London sewer system. But first, since Ted has so much fun doing it, I want to do it myself. So, Chrisanne, how long have I been waiting to watch this premiere? How long have you been waiting? Well, I, and probably many of you, have been waiting 522 days. Like I said in that Rebecca Welton meme I made, that's a long time to wait, Ted Lasso fans. But unlike Ted's Field of Dreams joke, the season three premiere hit it out of the park. The fan reception was almost universally, overwhelmingly positive. So I think it's safe to say that we respect that they didn't hurry. The start of Season 3 finds us on the cusp of a new Premier League season. The Greyhounds don't really have a lot of hope from the press. On the other hand, West Ham projected to finish near the top of the table. The team is clearly bothered by these poupee predictions, so Ted finds a solution to help them find their flow. Also, Keeley has started her new job at her PR firm, but... The big news is the reveal that she gives to Phoebe and us at the end of the episode. So seasons one and two opened and ended with close-ups on the character who uh, undergoes the most substantial evolution. And as I hoped, as you well know, episode 301 begins with a close-up of Ted, where he's at Heathrow sending Henry back home to Kansas. I think you thought it would be Ted as well. Yes, that was my prediction. And another thing I noted... When I posted on Instagram was that not only is the character the same for both the first and last shots, but also a similar setting. So season one, first and last shots were in Rebecca's office. Second season, Nate and a football field both times. But of course, first time Richmond, second time West Ham. So with Ted being in Heathrow, that obviously raises a lot of questions if, if that's also the last shot of the season, let alone the series. Where is he going to? Obviously, the obvious answer is that he's going back to Kansas, but some of the Ted stays in Richmond truthers believe that he's actually coming from Kansas back to Richmond. So, Hey, I wouldn't be mad at that. Or perhaps he's traveling with someone. You never know. I don't know if I would call myself a Ted stays in Richmond truther, but I'm definitely open to it. Well, for me, the way that could only really work is if Henry somehow goes to Richmond too, but I don't know that his mom would be okay with that. So really interesting how that might work. Yeah, uh, just logistically, it doesn't seem like it's something. But my prediction would be that Ted goes back to Kansas. It was interesting to me that being such a feel-good show, the first part of the episode felt sad you know ted's sadness and his guilt about not being with his son and being so far away from him and just questioning his purpose at richmond reminded me a little bit of rom communism and them going through their dark forest and i feel like we're giving a we're getting a front row seat to ted's dark forest that he's walking through right now and i think that his take on you know winning not being everything has made him completely forget his original purpose, which was to win the whole fucking thing. To your point about a so-called feel-good show starting off the season sad, I would actually say that every season has started off sad, actually. Season one, we see Rebecca 
sorting the things out for her divorce and season two, of course, the infamous killing of a dog. So this actually seems on brand. It's totally on brand. How did I miss that? I mean, the rule of threes, too. It's definitely a repeated theme. Absolutely. So a quick note about Dr. Sharon. For all the small fries with good eyes out there, you'll notice that we have an updated intro with uh, some of the supporting players being promoted to regular players. However, last season, Sarah Niles was one of them. This season, she was not listed, and she was also not in the trailer. But I knew she was going to be in the season because I think an interview with uh, Deadline after the season two finale, Bill Lawrence did mention that both James Lyons, who plays Trent Krim, and Sarah Niles, who plays Dr. Sharon Fieldstone, would both be back this season. So, I like hearing about Sharon being in uh, this uh, this season because I feel like she is that perfect foil, and maybe like Ted's higher consciousness, you know, the angel on his shoulder that helps direct him into the right way of thinking and being. I'm excited to see her. And holy cow, cute man in her bed. I loved that moment too, where she says, no, no, I haven't, not yet. Um, Because I love that they prioritize women's pleasure over at the Ted Lasso writing offices. I think it's pretty spectacular because it's something that's somewhat rare in the comedy world and in the television world. As I tweeted before, Ted Lasso is definitely doing their job at increasing media cliteracy. (laughs) Media cliteracy. It's so true. God bless them. Thank you for that, Ted Lasso. We love you for it. So you know what's interesting to me, Kevin, is the letting Ted be Ted situation that's going on in the episode and that the attitude that makes Ted not really care about, you know, winning or losing and he has to be reminded to fight for it is also the thing that leads him to take the high road and turn the guns back on himself instead of responding to Nate with vengeance and or hostility. And I thought it was just so beautiful how Ted turned the tables and caused everybody to just fall in love with him even harder. I mean, as if we didn't love him already, but that whole awkward call and answer game that he was playing with the press and just the way that he turned the whole Nate criticism thing around was so beautiful. Chef's kiss. It's ironic because this was actually more devastating than any insult he could have leveled back at Nate. And I think it hits a nerve with Ted too, because he suspects he's a shitty coach before Nate even says anything about it. You know, he's, he's questioning whether or not his presence in Richmond is hurting the team and really has a lot of doubt about his purpose there. And then Nate says it. Whoa, that really cut, that one cut hard. And you know, the old axiom, the tears of a clown. He's, he, you know, he's going to smile through it. I really love the memes that they had on um, the fake Twitter feed after Ted's press conference. Ted Classo is just the perfect embodiment of why we love Ted. Yeah, Ted Classo. He's number one in my heart. I did especially like who's the wanker now. 
That one made me Google. So some people on Twitter noted that exactly one year to the day of our first paparazzi photos of Ted Lasso season three of filming, we got the exact same scene in the first episode. But no one would have expected that we'd have a scene below ground in the sewer. That's so true. Who would have thought they'd go into the sewer? The weird thing is Ted's explanation about it actually made sense. And as Roy even said, it's fucking smart. Fucking smart. Yeah. Agreed. Plus hearing Jamie Tart say the word poupe is is a perfect reason to go into the sewer. I mean, if that's all they gave us, I would have been happy with that. But And we actually got it twice because he said it again later in the locker room. Remember, it's just poopy. So last season, we saw Richard and Dana Higgins play FIFA. This season, Richmond's in FIFA. Ted also mentioned Nando's Peri-Peri Sauce, and now Nando's is a sponsor of Richmond. So given that we saw a beautiful Lego set, how long until we get the Ted Lasso Lego set? Well, given that there's Fisher-Price Little People at Funko's, and a couple of other brands that are doing Ted Lasso dolls. Lego is probably going to be the next thing because it just makes sense. So we had a couple of very interesting placements of the Lego figurines, specifically for Ted. So on his right side, instead of his actual right-hand man, Coach Beard, we had who, Chrisanne? Rebecca! And of course, as Ted Becca shippers here, we definitely will... Add that to our They Are Happening agenda. As for my other agenda, in case you haven't seen, I posted a video on why I think Nate will be redeemed. And one of the main reasons was foreshadowing. So having Nate placed on the other side of Ted at the end of the episode, definitely I'm adding that to my other agenda as well. Speaking of Nate's road to redemption, this is a very sly way they folded that in. The scene in which Roy is telling Beard in the office that he watched the movie Hoosiers, that was such a nod because that's a film about a basketball coach in a small town who proves that you can reclaim your life even if you've really messed up. The whole movie is just about redemption. So I think that also supports Nate's road to redemption. I love it. Although I would say that he made me want the redemption a lot less with all the shitty things he did. Oh, yeah. Nate's uh, Nate's definitely the new wanker. <laughs> He's such a wanker. And he really ratcheted up the mean. He really, really did. I'm just, he didn't waste any time just getting right in there, insulting his coworker, telling him to get out, and insulting his players, and just being a general green meanie. Um Quick question for you. Yes. Was I the only one that felt intense shout and fried when Nate's car got towed from the West Ham Prestige lot? <laughs> so an interesting parallel I noticed is that Nate, when he was a kit man, probably wasn't getting paid that much. So a little understandable. But an interesting parallel I noticed is that, of course, when they go to the gala, he's wearing his dad's suit because he's like, oh, it's so expensive. So Ted buys him a new suit. When he joins West Ham, he has that shitbox car, and Rupert gets him a new car. So, very interesting. Yeah. First he gets a suit, and then he gets a car. That is interesting. I hope he doesn't do the walk when he gets out of the car now. <laughs> yeah, he's not allowed to strut unless Ted and Beard with him. Those are the rules. 
Those are the rules. Plus, you got to let the car do the work for you or the suit, as the case may be. They really made him gray this year, too. He's so gray. He looks so old. All right. I have a hot take coming. You ready? I'm ready. Bring it. So I've said before that I'm not a Star Wars fan, but given that even I understood the Palpatine as Rupert and the Vader as Nate parallels, I think it's a little too heavy handed that they essentially made Rupert's office into like the Emperor's lair or whatever. I feel like you probably have a different opinion on this. Because of the parallels with Star Wars and because they have said that they're going, you know, with the arc and that this is Return of the Jedi, I thought it was perfect. I mean, Paul Cripps really gave us the lair that we needed. I mean, they really needed to ratchet up Rupert's villainy. They really needed to up the stakes as far as the bad guys in the story. And if you know Star Wars, I mean, it's perfect. And I think that the West Ham offices, um, aka the Death Star, are perfectly dark. And I love what they've done with them. Big fan. Huge shout out to Paul and his team because they really killed it. Quick plug here. I've interviewed Paul Cripps on the podcast before, so make sure to check that out for some great insights into the show. That was a great episode, Kevin. I really enjoyed listening to you two chat. It was so great. So what's so interesting to me about the Nate situation is that he's so mean and he gets so vicious and really goes hard with it. But then around Rupert and then especially in front of the press, he's like a little puppy with his tail between his legs. He seems to cower in front of Rupert and cower, you know, wait to kind of feel everything out to see that he's okay, um, which is so interesting to me. He you know, he starts off and he's almost like back with the diamond dogs quoting the king and I, and then he goes back, takes his spit break and then just really up levels his meanness and laying into that reporter and then laying into Ted so hard. Um, it's, it's fascinating to me to see how that duality is playing out and whether or not that vulnerability that Nate possesses is what's going to be the key to his redemption, you know? Like he, he, he had a little panic attack and we don't know if he is connecting that to Ted and understanding that, but I sense that that little small insecure boy that's inside Nate is what's going to be the key to kind of blow the whole thing wide open for him and set him back on the road, the right road, the right path. If the show chooses to redeem Nate, I think that probably the biggest job of this season is convincing the fans that he's worth the redemption because there have been a lot of comments I've seen where people do not want it to happen at all. They don't seem to be open to forgiving him. So the team has a really tough job of convincing some of the fan base that it should happen if it does happen. Well, bravo to Nick Muhammad for acting it so well that it's making people hate him because woof, that's a testament to his skill right there. Brilliant, brilliant actor. I mean, and there's only so many belief signs that you can rip up before you break our hearts completely. So I hope the writing team took that into account. <laughs> Go easy on us. We can watch the, uh, the Last of Us if we want to get our hearts broken. We need Ted Lasso to stay Ted Lasso. I wanted to give a special shout out to uh, Rupert's little Stepford wife minion, Miss Cakes. If her outfit gives us any indication to the person that she is, she's definitely somebody who vibes prim but might secretly kind of walk on the wild side. Because if you looked at her belt, 
it was like this really studded rock and roll belt. And it, you know, it's kind of like secretary vibes. If you're, if you know that movie, I was like, Ooh, Ooh, Miss Cake's got a little bit going on in the backstory. Um, and then I need to know more about disco. We need to know who he is, but I guess all will be revealed and I just have to be patient. Although I do wonder if, um, in the back of my head, I'm remembering season one when Ted asks Nate if he if that's his Porsche. And he's like, oh, no, I could never handle that one. I wonder how the drive went. I wonder how Nate's drive home. And an, that was an Aston Martin that Rupert gave him. Yes. Well, I'll say it does seem to be handling his car better than Colin in his Lambo. Brendan and Chip and apparently a bunch of other people on the show support Arsenal. And I did, too, back in the day. But like I told Chip, those... 7 a.m. kickoffs are like deaths. Don't watch it much anymore, but I do know a thing or two, so I'll try to share some of my knowledge when things do come up. So when Jan Ma says that statistically most teams that get promoted get relegated again, that is actually very true. And there's actually a term for that. It's called yo-yo clubs because up and down, up and down like a yo-yo. That makes a lot of sense. Although as a person who doesn't have a lot of knowledge, but just knows that Rebecca did really well on her sabotage, I disagree. I disagree with Jan Moss, statistically or not. So that's the other thing I want to get to. On one hand, I love to see Richmond win because I love these guys so very much. But on the other hand, given what Jan Moss said, that statistically they're more likely to just get relegated again, it's quite the leap of faith to go from the championship to winning the fucking thing in the Premier League so kind of torn on that yeah I suspect if the trailer was you know them telegraphing anything for the season they might not get what they want but they'll get what they need which is a team that stays together and people who love each other and are doing something that they love doing Sometimes when I think too much into the logic of the sports side, I try to remind myself that Ted Lasso's an American football coach coaching soccer in London. So that's probably more unbelievable than a team jumping from the championship to winning the Premier League. So at the end of the day, it's not going to make me lose too much sleep if they win. <laughs> yeah, suspension disbelief is where it's at. On a related note, there was one thing that a couple of people had quite an issue with saying that one of the most unbelievable things about the premiere was that there was a direct flight from London to Kansas. <laughs> um, I was actually looking up the flight number 822 to see whether or not um, it had any significance, you know, when they do special things with numbers. And it just, you know, it just occurred to me to look up flight 822. Um, and I did not actually see a direct flight from London to Kansas. Uh, so, you you know, you, you might be right. So, Chrisanne, I hope you brought your appetite today. I oh, asked Kevin, I did. Why do you ask? Because we're about to eat some humble pie. <laughs> it's my least favorite kind of pie. So in our last episode, our reaction to the season three trailer... We both said, oh, look at Roy and Keeley. They look fine because uh, they were holding hands. And we're both like, oh, I can't believe people thought they broke up. And then, of course, the final scene, devastatingly, they revealed to Phoebe and us that they actually did break up. So now, in the words of Nate, we look like a couple of dum-dums. Yep, I guess we're going to have to go stand on the dum-dum line. The dum-dum line. Sure, we could have just went back and deleted from the recording. But as Keeley says, accountability matters. Yeah, accountability really matters. And the internet is the internet. 
It's unforgivable, really, though. I know that it makes sense in the storyline and Roy's arc in being really insecure, so insecure, in fact, that he feels like the relationship's not going to go forward because they're busy, but it's unforgivable to me, and I don't know if I'm going to forgive the writer's room for this, but maybe, maybe I will. So given their very different answers to Phoebe's why, the issue seems to be definitely on Roy's side because he's saying they broke up, but... Keely's saying they want a break, so. I think Keely's view is very much that relationships can withstand massive career changes and traveling and being apart. And Keely is much more curious and Roy is vibing judgmental because he's already been the judge, jury, and sentenced them to break up without really considering it until Phoebe says, Uncle Roy, are you sure you're doing the right thing? All right, I have another hot take for you. Do you think that they aged Phoebe too much from a mental perspective? Because literally last season, Ms. Bowen was telling Phoebe to go off and do some coloring. Excuse my bad Irish accent, but today's St. Patrick's Day, so I was feeling a little festive. She's definitely more mature now, and they've definitely, she's definitely grown up. It's only been a year. Now she's giving like sage relationship advice. I don't know, it seems a little much for me. Well, you're not wrong, but it didn't strike me when I first watched it that she was too advanced because she's precocious anyway. You know, Uncle Roy, that's a bad word. So I feel like the precociousness is fitting, especially given the fact that Phoebe is the daughter of a single parent, which sometimes, you know, forces kids to grow up a little bit more quickly. So I totally see your point and I don't disagree with you, but I do think it's okay. It doesn't bother me. I'm not mad about it. So one interesting thing I saw was that Nikki Austin, the head of hair and makeup, who I also interviewed, by the way, she said that Phoebe's headband falling down and the chocolate on her face was an intentional choice. Aha, uh-huh, that headband was driving me insane. I was like, push your headband up, push your headband up. It's driving me nuts. Another nice um, Phoebe detail that I like is that she said that they had to go now because she was already feeling the ice cream in her tummy. And of course, we know Roy has lactose intolerance issues, so I love that consistency there, the little details. But to go back to what Chrisanne and I were saying about the trailer, clearly that happens later on in the season and looks like they're in a better place. So I believe that Roy and Keeley will be getting back together before the season is done. I think they will be too. I think they're going to milk the Jamie love triangle a little bit, give us a little bit of friction and drama to enjoy. But much like it was before Roy and Keeley got together, their magnetic pull towards one another or that pull, that attraction that existed won't go away. They're so perfect for one another. I don't know about you, Kevin, but I thought it was so sweet that even though he's saying that they're breaking up, Keely's still encouraging him. And then she catches herself, but her instinct is to still care about him and take care of him and encourage him. So I feel like that's love. That's, that's big love and that's unconditional love. And I feel like that doesn't go away very easily. So much like Roy uh, telling Ted he was never coming back to Richmond, I think we need to let Roy go through his realization that he doesn't want to break up with Keely. On a related note, one of my predictions this season is that 
since Nate is gone from Richmond, somebody will have to take his place in the Diamond Dogs, and who better than one Roy Kent, especially since he has some woman issues now. Yes, I think that's going to be amazing, and I hope that he does. Oh my god. I feel like Beard right now. It was really interesting to me the way that they shot the Roy and Keeley scene when they were standing in Keeley's kitchen. Because every other scene that you've seen them in the both in the kitchen, they've both been wearing pajamas or comfy clothes. And in this scene, they were suddenly not strangers, but they both had their their work clothes on. Roy had his leather jacket on and Keely had her suit on. And that really struck me like, oh, they're guarded now or they're not being comfortable and not being their normal selves. So they really did set that scene up perfectly with that. On a similar note, I remember reading somewhere that Rebecca Welton is similar, where the more she's dressed up, the more guarded she is. So when she eventually starts to dress down a bit, then we know that she's really comfortable. Yes, indeed. Yeah, I agree. 100%. You actually saw that in the episode too, when she takes off her pink trench coat and she's with Keely. And it was interesting because you saw her mostly in the episode carrying it over her over her arm and she was seen in spaces where she was really comfortable with the people that she was with. So that that theory carries out in the episode. So I think most people would say that both Chrisanne and I are nice people. That's why we're going to be giving out awards on a weekly basis because we love the show so much. So with our first award, it's the MVP. MVP! 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 <laughs> Who's your MVP of the first episode? My MVP of the week is Phoebe because she was the voice of reason for adults and I love her so much for it. I had actually kind of thought that if May was Yoda, then Phoebe was Grogu. But since Grogu doesn't speak, that's not really a, a, a comparison I can make. But she was definitely bringing the Yoda vibes. Someone on Twitter said about the exact same thing you did. And then the, the mother of Elodie Phoebe, she said that that was the exact same reaction that her and Elodie had when they went through that scene. It's like, what are you doing, Roy? Who's your MVP of the week, Kevin? To be honest, I'm a little surprised you did pick Phoebe because I feel like it's kind of hard to give it to anyone besides Ted. With the predictions of everyone thinking that Richmond are going to finish last, it was clearly in the entire team's head and his wacky field trip did the trick. And then Rebecca was clearly pissed off about the whole Nate thing. And even though he didn't exactly defend Richmond in the way she thought he would, he probably even did it in a better way. So got to give it up to the mustache man. Yeah, the mustache man really did an excellent job of helping everybody be their best selves this week. This episode, I should say. I love that, Ted. I think he helps us all be better versions of ourselves, if I'm honest. On to our next award, the wanker of the week. Wanker! Wanker! So my wanker is Nate, of course. I mean, he's the wankiest wanker that ever wanked. <laughs> I mean, he showed so clearly how downright mean he is. And I don't, I don't think there was anybody else that was that wanker. What if I told you you're kind of almost wrong? <gasps> Tell me. So for my wanker, sure, Nate says some shitty things, literally. But Rupert here is the enabler. 
He's the puppet master. Nate's just the puppet. He's the Palpatine to Nate's Vader. The Rupertine to his Darth Nader, if you will. So I would say that a lot of it is because of Rupert. Like when he first came up with the there's no, there's no 21st joke, Rupert was the one that told him, oh, use that in the press conference. And then Rupert was the one who showed him the, the picture of the sewer. And then even before he said the 21st joke, he literally looked at Rupert like to give him the okay. So I would say Rupert's the actual wanker here. You know what? I think I'm going to come over to that side with you, actually, now that you've said it. Um, Rupert is, you know, the king of the wankers. I stand corrected. Our next award celebrates proficiency in profanity, excellence in expletives, virtuosity in vulgarities. It's the Roy Kent Cussing Award. Fun. That's fun, isn't it? Wow, it's hard for me to pick just one, but I really, really loved when he said, get fucked to the construction worker dudes. I thought that was so Roy and so beautiful. It was hilarious because that's literally how they could confirm that it was him. Which is how they also confirmed him at uh, at Nelson Road. So for mine, also Roy, not surprisingly. We'll try not to pick Roy every time, but you know Brett's going to make it hard on us. So mine is near the beginning where he's talking to Beard about the movie he's talking about it in pretty glowing terms and then it just kind of devolves into why the fuck is it called hoosiers <laughs> i just thought one that was like in a vacuum perfect delivery but two it was the first roy can't f-bomb of the season and like keely said it just brings a certain balance back to the universe you know it does it really does although i have to say my runner-up is Rebecca calling Rupert a twat in much the same manner that she called George the old manager in season one, episode one. It's just so satisfying to hear her say that. She gets a, a second place ribbon on that one in my heart. Our next award is all about fashion. It's... She's fucking fat! Okay, I had three items on this show, so I'm going to award a first place, a second place, and a third place award for the he, she is fucking fit. And those awards are going to a one Mr. Isaac McAdoo for his amazing tie-dye hoodie and tie-dye track pants come from an online store called A Bathing Ape. In second place, Keeley's Platforms. Those pink platforms under that suit are so Keely, and I noticed them right away. And they are the Kiss and Tell Square Peep Toe Statement Platform Mules from Ego Shoes. I thought they were just so perfect. You can't really see them entirely under her pants, but when you see the shoe, it's so great and so fun. And uh, I think Keely just looks like this super stylish and yet so sleek and professional boss lady. She's great. And last but not least, I just wanted to shout out Rebecca's gorgeous mini moon shoulder bag by Stodd. She's used it in other episodes, but for some reason this episode, it really caught my eye. But if, if you're into handbags like I am, that little piece of gorgeousness is just so architectural and so beautiful. I loved all of those things, especially Isaac's tracksuit. I thought it was beautiful. Very stylish. If you liked this and you want to hear more, shoot us an email and let us know. We'll also put the outfits that I awarded in the show notes. And for our last award, since I obviously love Ted Lasso and I'm a writer, we have Kevin's kick-ass line of the week. 
honestly could have probably put Ted's entire past conference in this because it was just peak Ted. But if I had to pick one, it'd probably be that he's more corny than Kevin Costner's outfield. And then kind of cheating here, but Rebecca's follow-up line, swing and a miss, was perfection as well. And so now we come to Chris Ann's corner kick, which is without definition right now, but I just want to share with you something special that I saw on the show. And there will be moments that I, I come to you and I share with you special little magical Ted Lasso elements that make my heart happy. This episode, I'd like to give a special shout out to whoever wrote Keeley's line. These are the poets and geniuses who run KJPR. It's a beautiful little nod to the Kansas-born godfather of improvisation and mentor to so many comedy greats, Mr. Del Close. And he said, if we treat each other as if we are geniuses, poets, and artists, we have a better chance of becoming that on stage. And he also said, treat your audience like poets and geniuses, and that's what they'll become. So thanks for treating us all like poets and geniuses, Ted Lasso. We love you for it. All right, we're into added time now, so the whistle's about to blow. We're just going to get some shots off that we think are worth mentioning. Fun fact, did you know the baby that Ted greets at the beginning is actually Brendan Hunt's baby? That's awesome. I love that. One of my favorite visual gags of the episode was when Rebecca returns to her office after lunch with Keely and she has the mascara on her shirt and then Higgins opens his blazer to reveal that he also has a shirt similarly, which he already dry cleaned six times. I thought it was amazingly written. Another little thing that I noticed, and I may be drawing a similarity out of nowhere, but I thought it was really funny that in the first episode, Rebecca's eating a salad, and when she's in her office, the very first episode in the pilot, she asks if somebody can pop out and fetch her a salad, and then she's eating a salad. I thought that was kind of fun. Good ass, Malfra. Thank you. A callback I liked was similar to the curse fire. The Richmond team is kind of out on a team... I don't know what you call it. A team excursion, a field trip. And in order to get everyone's attention, Roy yells, silence. Right, just like he did at the pub. I love it when he yells that, by the way. Did you notice when Ted first walks into the Richmond training facility, it is now named after Earl Greyhound instead of the King of All Wankers, Rupert Mannion? That one tugged at my heartstrings a little bit, not going to lie. I have one last little thing that I want to call out because it was so brilliant. The dad jokes were so perfect. They gave us, they gave me personally everything I wanted in dad jokes. And I love that Jamie also jumped into the fray with his bingo El Ringo. That was a highlight for me. And I think Henry was the one who started all off at the beginning, right? He sure did. There was another... Um, Musical reference uh, from uh, Jesus Christ Superstar, What's the Buzz? What's Happening? So there's so much. There's so many Easter eggs woven through this episode. There might even be more that we haven't touched on, but wow. They managed to get in two musical theater references, which I love. I love that they do that. And that concludes our episode for today. Thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, we greatly appreciate it if you could follow, rate, and review. It's the easiest and free way to support us. Be like Ted and give us a five-star certified fresh review. And for more of my content, follow me on Instagram at Ted Lasso is Life. I'm the most comprehensive Ted Lasso page out there with videos, news, fun facts, analysis, and of course, memes. Until next time, Greyhounds, 
onward, forward. 